I've, I was just thinking, I don't know, uh, I don't have a lot of deep things to say today, but I, I, I've got something that's kind of been just kind of pounding on me. And it's, I think it's kind of come to fruition this last week as you just turn on the television and you see, uh, you know, political rallies where people are just cold-cocking one another because of political differences. And you go and you, uh, you turn a little bit more on another channel and, and there's a, another shooter in a campus somewhere and, and locking down UCLA, of all places, as a, a shooter has come upon. And, um, and then, you, you know, not just hang on a little bit later, road rage. I don't know if you, you see the road rage where the guy, you know, runs over the motorcycle guys and they're flipping all over on the ground and and uh you, you just continue on and on and on after a while you're going holy cow what in the what in the world's going on i mean good grief this is this is this is not some weird foreign country where they do weird things this is the united states of america this is our home what's going on what in the world is going on and uh and i got i got to thinking Sometimes we as believers and followers of Jesus Christ have, have, have taken the supreme value of who we are and what we're all about and just anesthetized it. We've just taken the, the, the power out of a simple word called love. I mean, it's become, it's become warm and fuzzy. It's become, it's become so... Uh, you have to excuse me. It's kind of become sissified. It's just it's something that just you know is is warm and fuzzy and curly and and you snuggle up to it, and, and we we lost the, the cutting edge of what love is all about. In fact, when 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 his followers were trying to figure it all out, somebody came up to Jesus and said, "Would you somehow put in concise way what it was it mean to follow you? Because like there's like 619 laws that we're trying to abide by in the Old Testament and all this tradition that comes through. Would you just kind of tell us in, you know, like Twitter form, how do we, what do we do to follow you? And so Jesus said, well, that's pretty simple. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That's the first big law I'd give you. And the second's kind of similar. Love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all you have and love others with all you have. Same way you love yourself. You do that and you kind of you got an idea of what's going on. Love is so important to who we are as believers in Jesus that Paul, when he's writing the new te- parts of the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, gives a whole chapter to love. And we look at it as kind of a wedding thing, you know, it, it's, it's read at almost every love is kind and patient and love is uh, if I had tongues of men and angels but don't love. But when you look at that, I mean, that's, that's tough stuff to live by. In fact, Paul says, if I could really tell you what the fruit of the Spirit is, if I could tell you what, when, when God lives in you, what, what you look like and what you act like, I'd give you, I'd give you some fruit that comes from this tree. And his first one is love. Love, peace, patience, kindness, joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But love is the supreme standard of who we are. So much so that when Jesus is talking one time, he says, let me just give you a new commandment in John 13. 
Let me give you a new commandment. Love one another. Okay, love one another. Okay, Jesus, I can love one another. We'll love others. And then he has to throw this. As I love you. You see, my standard of loving you is is one thing. I think I've done enough very often. Just depending on how much you deserve my attention and my my love and my kindness. But when the standard is no longer what I think is the standard of love, but it's now the standard of how Jesus loves me, that takes love to a whole different level. And I, I, as I follow that scripture a little bit further, Jesus will finally say, people will know you're my disciples by the way you love. So I'm looking at our culture. I'm looking at our nation and and our, our news, and I'm going, Yikes. And I got to thinking, I wonder how much the same attitude is of, of, of our Lord when he looks at us and goes, what in the world? But I, I got really convicted with this because all of us can be disgusted that, that people are shooting each other and hitting each other in the head and knocking each other out and running over. We could all get disgusted at that. I wonder how many times the Lord gets disgusted at me. Because my, my standard of love is so inept. And, it, and, in, and instead of being the, the very characteristic of a, of a follower of Jesus, mine, mine has become a convenience that I, I bring out for special people at special times. And so today, if you have this little outline, I just want you to catch one little thing. It's on the bottom of this outline. It's kind of the, the theme of what we're going to be looking at. It says, the greater our awareness of Christ's love for us, the greater our love will eventually become. And whenever my vision of Christ's love has been expanded, my capacity to love gets expanded. If I can catch, if I can catch the awareness just how much God loves at me, then it expands my horizons of what, what my love capacity can be, what our love capacity can be. I'm going to refer you to a, a portion of Scripture that you, you probably have heard over and over and over again. You probably know it by heart, at least in story form, because it's, it's not only familiar, but it takes the expanse of God's love and just lays it out for us. It's in Luke 15, and um, in that chapter, Jesus is talking to some, some uh, basically irreligious people. I mean, pagan as you can get. Um, as far away from God by their own admission as you could possibly think. And he's having this conversation with them. In fact, he loved having conversation with these kind of guys. And, and he would eat dinner with them, and he'd spend time with them. And off in the corner, the Pharisees were looking at him, and they were just letting each other go to town gossiping about Jesus. Here's this guy. He calls himself the Messiah. Here's this guy. He calls himself the Son of God. And he's speaking with these scum, with these untouchable people, with, with people we would not even want to come close to. He's just going, the Son of God would never do that. He'd never talk to those disgusting people. Do you know what they've done? Do you know who they are? Do you know what they think? Do you know what they believe? Do you know what they do in their lifestyle? That's the Son of God talking to them. And Jesus, I don't know if he overhears these guys or if he just somehow, because he's God, knows what's being said. He leaves his conversation and he goes over to the Pharisees, and he strikes up a conversation. He says, hey, let me just, if you have time for just three quick stories, 
Let me just give you these rapid-fire things. Now, you've heard these stories before. This is the first time these ears have heard. And he just starts boom, boom, boom. First story is this. There's a shepherd with 100 sheep. One of them, one of the, one of the sheep takes off in the middle of the night. And the shepherd, as he's counting through his sheep, recognizes one's gone. And, and he takes the 99, puts them in safety, and then he goes everywhere, high and low, mountains and valleys, anywhere he can, can search, behind the rocks, in the trees, whatever, to find this, this one sheep. And when he finds this one sheep that's got away after a day or so, he picks the sheep up and carries it back. He doesn't beat the sheep. He picks it up, carries the sheep back, and goes back to the fold and lays lays it down there with the rest of the flock. And then he calls his neighbors and says, I found found this lost sheep that I didn't know if I'd ever... I found it before something happened to it. I found it before the, the wolves got a hold of it. I found it before something... Terrible. And I'm so excited I'm going to throw a party. Would you join me for the party? And people from all around come in and just enjoy this time of, of celebration. And then Jesus looks at these guys and he goes, and, and let me tell you a second story. There's a woman who has ten coins. And she drops one and it falls off somewhere. It's lost and we don't know what happened to it. And she literally turns the house upside down until she finds that one sheep, or that one coin. <laughs> Probably the sheep might have the coin, I don't know, but find the one coin. And, and when she finds it, she's so excited, she calls all her neighbors. I had lost one-tenth of all that I own, all the value that I, one-tenth of it, and I found it. And she throws a big party, and they come from all over the neighborhood to celebrate with her that she found that, that lost coin. Then the most familiar one, there's a, there's a dad with two sons. And one son says, Dad, I am not going to wait to die to get the inheritance. I'd like it, like now. And, uh, and that's about his most, the most scandalous thing you could think of. That was a disgrace. He wants the money now. The dad gives him the money. His pockets are full of money. Off he goes into the far foreign land. And he spends it on about everything bad and nasty you can think of. I mean, he just goes for it. And it doesn't take long before he has absolutely nothing. And he's working for less than minimum wages, feeding pigs. And one day he's looking at the food that he feeds the pigs, and he's going, that's looking pretty good. I, I wouldn't mind having that food. That's better than, than what I'm eating. And before he starts digging into pig food, this good Jewish boy, before he starts digging into pig food, the Bible has this great little phrase that says, he came to his senses. He came to his senses, and he got up, and he made the long journey back home. And on the way, he's going, I'm a knucklehead. I cannot believe I've done this. I can only, there's only one thing I can think of, and that is I'm going to go to Dad, and I'm going to tell him real briefly, I'm going to apologize for all I need to do about this inheritance thing, and then, and then after I take whatever punishment he's going to give me, I'm going to slide off into the servants' quarters, and I'm going to stay the rest of my life in the servants' quarters because I don't even deserve to be a servant of my dad, but I'd rather be a servant than in that pig farm that I was working at. And so I'll be happy with that. And he's walking back. He's rehearsing his speech over in his mind. And at the last little hill that he's about to go over before he gets to his homeland, he looks off in the distance, and he sees coming down the road this old man with his robe hiked up 
above his knees so he can get some good traction and run as fast as he can toward him. And as this man gets closer and closer to him, he sees that it's not just an older man, it's his dad. And there's tears coming from the eyes of his dad. And he's getting ready to go, oh, no, my dad is ticked. He is going to let me have it. And as soon as his dad gets to him, he hugs him and embraces him like you've never, ever expected or could see before, see it coming. And he starts crying out, my son, my son, welcome home. Welcome home. You don't know how long I've waited for this day. You don't know how many days I've looked out over the horizon just hoping to see the top of your head coming over that hill. And today's the day. And he, he grabs him and they, they walk back to the house embracing. And he, he's, he's already planning out this big meal. He's going to call all the neighbors. He's going to have a huge barbecue. He's, he, he reclothes his son in nice fine linen. He, he gives him a robe, which is like give him the, the credit card of the family. He gives him the, the ring from, from his... Um, from his family, and he says, whatever you need, whatever you want, spend it. You're back, and then this big party going on everywhere. He's with his son, with his arm around his son, saying, hey, 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 this is my son, he's come back. This is my son, he's come back. This is my son, he's come back. Rejoice with me, rejoice with me, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. This is my son. And then Jesus just kind of stops after he tells those stories. He doesn't go into point by point, principle by principle, of trying to help them figure out the story. He just kind of, boom, leaves it and sits back and lets it sink in. Now, I don't know what those stories do to you. Here's what those stories do to me. When I think about our world and our culture and a lack of love, and when I think about we as Christians, when I think about the church and how sometimes love has been just so inept in our midst. And when I see the love that God has, I just step back and go, what? I've got to love better. i got to be better at this thing called love. I better love better. Here's how I got to that conclusion. I think there's a couple themes that come through this. First theme is this. When you kind of look at those stories, there's a, there's, there's a common theme of something being lost. There's a lost coin. There's a lost sheep. There's a lost son. And not only do you look at that and read that and you go, well, yeah, there's something lost. But you look at those lost items and you recognize they matter to somebody. That sheep really matters to the shepherd. That coin really mattered to that, to that widow. That son really matters to that, that parent. Any parent that has a child that's gone off on their own knows that the, the heartbreak of, that, of that, that. That child really matters to that parent. Really, really matters. I remember when this first hit me, we were, we were planting a church up north, and, and, and it was like, this has got to be the driving force behind who we are as a church, that lost people matter. I mean, that's, that's so simple, but sometimes as, as believers, we, we forget that. And sometimes as churches, we forget that. But that lost people matter. They matter a whole lot. But I've been a pastor long enough to know that not only do lost people matter, but found people matter as well. And um, 
it just people matter, you know. And, and we, you know, we've got politicized now about Black Lives Matter or these lives matter, blue lives matter, policemen matter. What Jesus would say? Would you would you just stop it for a minute? All lives matter. Everybody matters. Rich, poor, young, old, white, black, brown, whatever your occupation is, whatever. All lives matter to the Father. When you look at this this little story that's combined together in these three little parts, immensely mattering to the Father is everybody. Now, when that hits me, and there's sometimes I like to just push aside. When it hits me, I, I have to sometimes like put on Luke 15 glasses to really to really recognize this because I just go around my, my life. But when I when I'm sensitive to what this is saying, I have my Luke 15 lenses on. I recognize that everybody my eyes lay contact to are immensely loved by my Heavenly Father. Everybody these two eyes focus on in this world, no matter the label we put on them, matter immensely to my Heavenly Father. His Jesus saying to the Pharisees, I know these, you know, you, you're kind of smug and you, you don't really care about people that are outside your circle, but what I want you to know to my Heavenly Father, these people that I'm conversing with that you think that I shouldn't be conversing with, just like a shepherd loves a sheep and a woman loves a coin and a dad loves a lost son, that's, that's what my Heavenly Father thinks about them. And when I start to see people knowing that God loves them that much, here's the big thing. Then I need to love them that much. And I don't know about you, I have to sit back and go, oh, I better love better. If I'm the representative of God's love to this world, by being a follower of him, if I want to follow God, if I want to be like Jesus, if I want the mind of Christ, I'm going to have to learn to love like Christ. I'm going to have to learn to love like him. So let me ask you a question. Who can you just not stand? Who, who you just can't stand them? You know, if I went around with this little... little uh, transformer thing or something and went put it on your head and then your thoughts would immediately put it upon the screen the person who would be up on the screen when i came by and it hooked into your your mind who do you just despise you'd like to vote them off the island if you could you know who would be on the, it would be like seahawk fans you know would you put them up there or republicans or democrats you know trumpians clintonians sandarins who, who would you put up there? Slow drivers? Who, who just gets under your skin? You know, the amazing thing is there are some people, because of the very accent that they have, their dialect, well, we don't even know why, but we just don't like them because of that. We, we grew up that way. I mean, it's not that we would maybe do something violent to them, but it's it's... We have this bias, and we have this superiority feeling, or we have this, this I don't want anything to do with you because of, of the accent that you have or the, the color of skin 
that you have or because of the area that you live in or don't live in or what you drive or don't drive or and then you go down and, and we don't even know why we, we think that way. We've been just kind of over time grown up to think that. Who can't you? You just don't even know what you can't. I, I, I hear this scripture and I, I, I catch a hold of this concept and, and I know in my life somewhere along the line I've got to draw a line in the sand and say, enough is enough. And I want to challenge that each of you would, that this would be the day. Enough is enough. I am, I am no longer going to hate. I am no longer going to live by any other standard than the love of God. I am going to be known as a disciple of the one who loves with immense love. That if my world is going to change, it's going to change by believers in Jesus Christ, loving like Jesus loved. Martin Luther King said, you can't, darkness doesn't distinguish darkness. Light distinguishes it. Hate cannot eradicate hate. Only love, only love can eradicate hate. I turn on the news and I watch some of that stuff and, and I, I don't even want to admit to you some of the dark bubbling up comes in me when I see certain kind of people doing certain kind of things or certain other people just I get so angry. And the more angry I get, the more it doesn't work. Is it working? It doesn't work. Just perhaps loving like the love of Jesus might make all the difference. And if we the church are not distinctive in our love, we're missing our calling. So love immensely like, like God loves. Put our Luke 15 glasses on. When you leave today and you go wherever you're going to go, a restaurant or down the street or you're just trying to pull out on the highway, put your little glasses on and, and see people like God sees them and, and love them like God loves them. Second part of this of this thing that kind of comes out, a theme that kind of comes out to me is that Jesus recognizes that they went out of their way to search. I mean, the shepherd went out of his way to search for the sheep. The the woman turned upside down the house to find the coin. The dad looking every day at the horizon to try to see if his son's coming home. There's There's a searching that goes on. It's one thing to say, I love you. It's another thing to try to love you like the love of God. But here's Here's what comes out to me, and I'm convinced of this. That, that God loved us so much, and he proved that love so much that he sent Jesus to search for us on a rescue mission. And no matter who we are, no matter the hole that we've dug, no matter what we've done in our life, no matter you know what we've ingested, what we've snorted, who we've slept with, what whatever kind of junk you would want to put on this hole, no matter what we've done in life, no matter what, no matter how many times we've, we've taken our fist and, and, and rebelled against God and, and went the other way, no matter what we've done, he searches us and searches us and looks for us until he, he, he rescues us and brings us back. He's on a search and rescue mission for every one of us. And I'm convinced that when I start putting the list of, I would love that person, but, and, and then, 
give their offense. I love their, this person, but they do this. I love this person, but they do this. I love this person, but they live there. I love this person, but they're that kind of person. All this stuff that they do, the, the reason Jesus is so much, is so different, he comes in and he transforms all that. He can redeem all that. He wipes it away. He forgives it. He cleanses it. He cleanses it. And he makes it new and different. And the way I really show my love is not just in giving somebody a break or being nice and kind and gentle. The greatest way I can show my love is I connect them to Jesus who came on this mission to search and to find all that were lost, all that have gone astray. And guess what? That's all of us. If you know Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's because you've been searched for by Jesus. He came after you. And he found you. And if you're, if you're not there yet, if you're still kind of exploring this whole thing of Christ, he's, he's on a searching mission for you. He's, he's, he's right closer than you think. He's, he doesn't give up. He's searching and searching and searching. As I was sitting here thinking about the church and the future of this church and, and going through what I talked about is, you know, you, you change the inside, you've got a pastor, you're continuing on. You, you are not a church just to have a place to meet. You're not a church just to have a pastor now. And so they don't have to worry about that and hope that the air conditioning on and service is good. And Sarah shows up and remembers the offering and, you know, whatever you know, that, that Jared and Haley will only take one week of vacation so you don't have this guy come. You know, you, whatever you want to do with, with Jared. You, you, you exist for more than that. You exist because you are on a search mission in the Santan Valley for the love of God to connect with people here. That means whatever your job is, that's whatever circle of influence you may be in, whether at school or at work or whatever, that you show love, but then you're always like, well, how can I connect Christ to these people? Can I invite them to come in? Can we, can we connect enough people that don't know Christ? I mean, there's enough church. We don't need more churches. We just need the people that aren't in church in church. Can we connect enough people that next year this place is overloaded, even in the summer, even when... Jared and Haley are on vacation. Can, can it be two services going on? Can it be another added? Can we be talking about expanding more? Not because we want more, but because the mission of Jesus never quits searching for his people. We search and we search and we search. One last thing. We love people that much. We're searching for them. What I love about this story is when it, it comes to the, the end of each of those little three stories, there's a huge celebration. When the, when the coin is retrieved, when the sheep is brought back, when the sun comes home, it is party time. In fact, one verse of Scripture in that 15th chapter says, when one sinner repents, the angels of heaven rejoice. There's a huge party when just one sinner repents. One sinner comes back and is found. Huge party. I don't, I don't even know what that party, I'm, I wonder what a party in heaven looks like. I wonder how the angels party, because I don't even know. And I wonder how many. I mean, does, does there like a couple, or are there ten, a uh, thousand, ten thousand? 
I mean, I, I just want to think big enough. 100,000. Maybe there's 100,000 angels partying when, when that sinner repents. I don't know what they do. I don't know if they dance. I don't know if they all dance on the top of a pin, you know, and see how I many they can get on the, the dance floor of the pin. I don't know if they eat angel food cake. I don't know how, I don't know how angels party. I just imagine, though, whatever that big party, that celebration is going, when one person comes back, that maybe there's a head table with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit seated at the table. And in behind them, there's this huge, gigantic screen with the name and a photo of the one who's returned. And for however long that party goes, the focus is, we found them. They're back. And as I get to thinking about that, I, I mean, I, I came to the Lord pretty young. But there was a day when all of heaven, a hundred thousand angels, partied. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit sitting at the head table, and on that screen, that's bigger than the you know the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. It was my name. It was a photo of me. And heaven rejoiced because I came back. And if you're a follower of Jesus, there was a day 100,000 angels partying up a storm. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Big banner with your name. To have him celebrate. That's how much you matter to God. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he's willing to do for you. You might have life. And you might have future. And you might have his presence. And you might have what you need to live every day. That's how much he loves you. Jesus loves you so much. The Bible says in, in 1 John um, we love because he first loved us. We love. So that the more I understand how much he loved me, the better I can love. The more I understand what it took for God to show his love to me and what that love entails, the more it expands my horizon and my capacity to love. And I don't know about you, but I better love better. I recognize that. I can do better. Not just because I need to do better. But I'm convinced of this. When the church starts to love like Jesus loves, and we're placed significantly for impact in our communities, our nation will reflect that in a different way. We won't be trying to drive hate out with hate. We'll turn on love. And love transforms. Love changes. Love makes all the difference. One last thing. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you are one prayer away. One prayer away from turning heaven into a party zone. One prayer away. Just one. So as we draw a line in the sand, I'm not going to hate anymore. I'm going to love like Jesus. For some of us, it might be, this is the day 
I just need to be cleansed from all this junk in my life that, that you know, my, my, my family has put in there, my culture has put in there, my friends have put in there, the evil one has put in there. I just want to clean it all out. I want it cleaned up. And I want to be so anointed with the love of Jesus that it just overflows. The affection of Christ overflows in me. It starts to pour out everywhere, everywhere I go. The love of Christ comes. Some of you might say, this is the day. I'm praying that prayer. I want him. I, I'm coming to my senses. And I'm walking my way back to him. And I want you to know he's there to meet you. He comes to meet you.